are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Anusha Bhushan, the co-founder and CEO of Smoothies, a sustainable wellness beverage brand. Good morning, Anusha. Thank you for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Good morning, Sudha. Thank you so much. Uh, pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So let's get started with the questions. Would you like to start with a quick introduction to who is Anusha Bhushan? Sure. I actually find this question very hard to answer. So discovering it. But no, to answer it accurately, by trade, I'm a food and beverages entrepreneur based out of India. I run a fruit-based beverages brand called Smoothies. So I've been running this for the last six years before which I spent some time in management consulting and in investment banking across both Mumbai and London. I did my MBA from IIM Calcutta and I have an economics degree from the London School of Economics. Both degrees were quite some time ago. <laughs> and personally, I'm a pet parent, have been for around two years now and it's a fairly big part of my life. I'm very passionate about sort of clean label nutrition and that feeds into what I do at work. I'm beginning to learn a lot more about climate change as well. And I like to spend time educating myself around sort of what we can do as a business as well. And of course, how that feeds into my personal life as well. Brilliant. So you left a very lucrative career to set up a business. You left consulting. This is like the Indian parents dream that their kids graduate from LSE and then they start consulting. And you gave that up, actually. So how did that happen? So my first job coming out of LSE was in investment banking and that was in London. So, you know, I did the mandatory, the analyst years in, in an investment bank. And a couple of years down the line, I think I just realized that there were two things that were missing for me. One, I didn't really want to do banking long term and I wanted a career in India. That was important to me for a number of different reasons. I think family, of course, was something that I always knew I wanted to make it back to India for eventually. But, you know, the murmurings of entrepreneurship in India had started around then. This is um, maybe around 2011 or so. And the idea of sort of eventually starting a business in India at some point was uh, sort of seeded in my mind. So I moved back. I said, let me move back. And there are a lot of different things that I could do. I was figuring out business school. And uh, so I took a break and I moved back with a couple of food intolerances. And uh, so I found myself during my break, actually walking up and down a lot of supermarket shelves uh, in Bangalore. You know, just looking for things to sort of manage lactose intolerance and stuff like that. And, you know, this is again, this is back in the day when there was no variety available on shelves. Yeah. And that's what kind of got me thinking that, you know, I've been thinking about doing something on my own anyway. Maybe there's an opportunity here to build something in the packaged food space. I'm not a techie. And so startup stuff for me was very much like I want to know a product that I understand that I can make and sell it and build a business, build a physical business, right? But, you know, somewhere in that process, I got into business school. So I went somewhere in those two years of business school, I got a consulting role. So I said, why don't I do that for a bit? So I did. But I think the second time round, I think that the parallels between investment banking and management consulting, they're both very glamorous roles to take. 
But I think because I had already done the banking thing, when I did it in consulting, it didn't give me any sense of fulfillment. And that's when I realized I think I was ready to maybe sort of take that plunge and just figure out at least the early part of starting my own business. I was a bit early, actually. I was maybe 27 when I made that decision. But I was very, very particular that I wanted to start the grind of entrepreneurship while I was relatively young because I just wanted to be able to devote all my energy and all my time to it. Which typically, I think as you get older, you just have days as well. And I said, let me do it while I'm free and unhindered. So that's how it started. And uh, yeah, so I just quit my job one day, much to everybody. <laughs> and yeah, and then just started. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear your story. Two things that like really stick for me, that somebody who has an opportunity to make it abroad in the UK makes a decision and they're happy with it about coming back. And that's why you made your way back. And also about the fulfillment part of it in your career. It's not very often that I get to hear from people that that is one of their priorities. And I think increasingly it must be. So it's good to hear you speak about fulfillment. So moving on, women are generally risk averse. I think I'm one of the biggest examples. Did you have those moments of overthinking and imposter syndrome? I suffer from imposter syndrome all the time to the extent that I think sometimes if somebody gives me a compliment or pays me a kind word about our business, in the back of my mind, I am literally finding all the reasons for why they are wrong. I don't deserve that compliment. There have been times when people have actually told me to stop. Just accept the compliment. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually working actively at combating risk aversion though. I think entrepreneurship is a gamble. And sometimes I think the journey only sort of pays off if you play the kind of go big or go home strategy. And it is really hard, I think, especially when imposter syndrome sort of plays on your mind saying, do I deserve to be so audacious in my dreams? And actually for some time, I think I used to say the right thing. So I used to say that I'm playing a go big strategy. But yeah. when it came to actually making decisions, I would take a slightly safer route. And in fact, an investor actually called me out on it and he said, you know, you're saying you want to go big, but your dreams do seem to be limited by some sense of restraint in your own mind. Hmm. So that is something that I'm very conscious of when I'm working on that now. I think it comes out from, I think, situations of absolute uncertainty. They used to make me feel very, very anxious. So I'm actively trying to manage or learning how to manage ambiguity and just become comfortable with it. Because unfortunately, with entrepreneurship, you find yourself in these situations all the time. Yeah, regularly and all the time. But I think you need to acknowledge definitely that you took a huge risk when you decided to quit your consulting job and set up a business. So I think you've taken the first steps and many steps after that. Uh, and you need to recognize that you've done it. Getting rid of imposter syndrome is a journey. It's just how you channel that energy, that anxiety with not taking sort of crazy risks, but you know it gives you time to pause and think and then make a decision, which is not all that bad. So coming back to smoothies, you've positioned it as a wellness beverage brand. What does that mean? And how important is it for you to be a clean and sustainable business? So yeah, I mean, we position smoothies as a wellness beverage brand because effectively what we're trying to do is we're trying to unjunk the juices sector, right? So we're trying to deliver a better for you version of products in the packaged food space. And the first space that we actually decided to work in was the juices space. 
So for us, what that means is, you know, if you study the back label of any other large juice brand today, you'll find sugar and preservatives and emulsifiers and additives and colors, flavors, you name it. And so the actual food content that you're getting is very, very low. And, and that's why we call it a wellness beverage brand. You know, we don't like to call ourselves a health brand because what we're trying to do is effectively say, can we give you juice in its most natural form? And that itself is a wellness play. So we call ourselves a wellness brand. We also like to talk about how we're clean label. Yeah. So clean label effectively means that, right? It means that every single ingredient on your back label should be something that a consumer understands and recognizes. And ideally should not have been manufactured in a lab. That one is a extremely core principle for our business. I mean, we wouldn't exist if we didn't want to solve that one problem. Yeah. yeah. The other bit that we're very, very sort of conscious of, and this is a very difficult one, is a very difficult goal to meet, is can we be a sustainable business as well? And by sustainable for us, again, being in the packaged foods industry, the first thing that we're trying to attack is the packaging. So most of our competitors today are in plastic. You know, they're using plastic in their bottles, in their labels, in their secondary packaging. So the first thing we said is, like, can we do glass instead? And we've had to make a lot of other compromises around the business to make the glass bottles work. But it's something, again, it's just incredibly important for us because if small businesses today, while building the foundations of their business, don't try to make it sustainable, there's no way you can do it at large scale. No. It is possible to take a 500 crore brand and say, okay, why don't you now try to become sustainable? Your processes are set in place, your supply chains are set in place, and it is what it is. So I think that's the beauty of the startup ecosystem as well. You see a lot of entrepreneurs these days trying to do the right thing. So that's very important for us. I think the clean label thing is such a huge challenge. And I think for India, your brand is quite innovative, right? Not many people are doing that clean label where they put sort of that data where nobody understands what is written over there. Nobody knows what those names mean or what does it do for your health. That's a brilliant value. I think that's your internal value that this is how you want to do business and that's what you're doing. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced as an entrepreneur? And I am sure there have been a ton of them. And do you believe that female entrepreneurs, you're a young female entrepreneur, they face a different set of challenges to others? Unfortunately, I think women entrepreneurs not only face the usual entrepreneurial challenges, but they face the additional set of challenges that come from society, come from people close to them. And I think when I talk about women entrepreneurs, I am talking about myself as well. I think that the largest sort of issue is that Society is still not used to seeing women in positions of authority in the workplace, especially somebody saying, I run this business. It's almost like it's a contrarian thing to say and to hear and to understand and to digest. So for me, like this comes across and has come across in multiple ways. I have a male co-founder. He's a very good friend of mine and is very supportive of this fact, right, that I have a female co-founder who is the CEO of this business and I must ensure that she is given that position in every meeting that we walk into, right? Yeah. But not everybody gets that privilege of having somebody who understands that. So, you know, when we raise capital from investors or when we're trying to attract high quality talent or even just sitting in a meeting with key customers or vendors, there's an extra layer of mental load that every female entrepreneur actually has to take on just to ensure that they are establishing their position of authority in the room. Because yeah. by fault eyeballs will move to the man in the room absolutely it is what it is and the only way to do it is to actually 
in the meeting, hold your own, right? Or establish it right up front that I'm the person that you should be directing most of the conversation to, for example. So I think it's a very frustrating place to be. And, you know, in the beginning, it used to bother me. It, it no longer bothers me. I've just picked up a set of skills to be able to manage that. And also, as I said, a very strong understanding with my co-founder that this is how we do things. But if you don't have that support, then it's really hard to do. Absolutely. The other thing is, there's also a lot of mental load and guilt sometimes of making sure you show up as in your society dictated role, right? Like my, I think my personal life is really simple, right? I don't have kids and, and, yeah. and I'm a super supportive husband. But you know, I, I, I know a lot of female entrepreneurs otherwise who have guilt of, am I spending enough time as a mother or a wife or a daughter? Yeah. And expectations, preset expectations that people have of you. So yeah, I think men are always encouraged to shoot for the stars and chase yeah. their dreams. But women are always cautioned, right? Saying Absolutely. They can be able to do it all. And if they're not cautioned there, there's always subtle guilt that you're made to feel. Yeah. Because you spend so much time at work, you're spending less time on something else. True. I think that's a huge cultural expectation. The norms that have been set for like, I don't know, hundreds of years and people continue to perpetuate that and put that additional burden on women. And you're lucky to have a co-founder who works to support you and ensure that you are seen as a CEO and you're visible and able to speak up. I think most of the times, you know, when men have that opportunity to, they don't actually do that. They'd rather just take it themselves and say, oh, we can help it. They're more comfortable speaking to a man. I don't know who's comfortable. It's <laughs> That is a moot point. So what are some of the highs of running a business or what are your favorite bits of being an entrepreneur? So I think for me, being a consumer business, the highs are almost always related to just great consumer feedback. Whether it is somebody just telling me that, you know, I love your product or seeing the brand that we've built, like actually being entrenched into the lives of our consumers. I love seeing that, especially when it is actually unprompted feedback, right? I went for a jog the other day in the middle of a couple park. It's just like very large yeah. park in the middle of Bangalore. And I saw somebody doing yoga and they had a bottle of ours. And this is a very nice feeling to see that, you know, people are using what you've built in their everyday life, right? I think that for me has always given me some of my greatest highs. And that's what we built for. And that's what makes me wake up every morning. The other thing is I love doing what I do. I love working with my team. The other sort of the dual objective of entrepreneurship was can we generate employment? And that was the other reason to run a product business. We run our own manufacturing means we hire labor. You know, the first person in our factory who's making the product yeah. and the only person making the product at that time is now the production supervisor for 20 people. So I, I like being able to see that we've also been able to give career progression and financial progression to people. So I think the people aspect of it also keeps me fulfilled. Yeah, it's so exciting actually to hear about that, to see people using your product to hear from people about how good it is and how much they enjoy it. And of course, working with people, providing livelihoods, ensuring that they can have a fulfilling career. That's amazing. So running a business, like we've discussed, can be highly demanding. And of course, there are cultural issues, sociocultural issues that are there. And it's a stressful job in itself. Do you rely on support networks, women entrepreneur networks? Is there an ecosystem that you can go back to with your challenges or with your learnings? or just generally go to people. 
There is a network of women entrepreneurs that has been set up by the Pan IIM member network. We started picking up momentum around 2020, so when the pandemic struck. I find that network to be very useful to sort of bounce ideas off. And so I do like networks because of the ability to access resources and to find the right set of people who can maybe help you. But I was slightly contrarian due to how useful networks are after a certain point, right? Because in our culture, like we're always curating self-image and we're always showing only the positive aspects of your journey. And I've seen that that extends to networks as well, especially like the larger the network, the more people have to lose by talking about their difficulties, right? Because you don't know who else is in that network. So I use the networks to some extent to meet people or to meet the relevant people. But I much prefer one-to-one interactions. I think they feel a lot more authentic. And I feel a lot safer communicating in smaller settings. But there is still, even outside of just this one IIM network, there's still work to be done to build an ecosystem to support women. A lot of people are doing their bit, right? So you have people who are funding women entrepreneurs or who are trying to ensure that there is diversity in their founder networks. But I think in general... I still feel like the onus is on, and it should be actually, the onus is still on women entrepreneurs to to seek out help. But if you do, and if you go out and you look for help and you do it systematically, you build your networks, there is a lot of goodwill and there is a lot of help out there as long as you're willing to put in the time and the energy. And it's actually independent of whether you're a man or a woman. If you build the right networks that are relevant to your industry and your goals, there are a lot of people willing to help. Like I have different people I talk to for advice on sort of various spheres of life, right? So if I'm worried about capital raising, I know that there are three or four people who've done it and done it very successfully. And I will go to them and I will talk to them about what they did, how they did it, what am I not doing right, for example. If I'm struggling with something very specifically to do with our industry, I go with problem statements about the challenges in our business to, let's say, an industry professional. These are people who you don't get time with very often, but very often, like they come back with perspectives and solutions that you may not have gotten if you had sat with the problem yourself. And then there's just the people who you talk to just to complain about life, right? Yeah. You know, you don't want anything back, but you just need somebody to be like 100% vulnerable with. And I've actually found that the best people for that are not your friends, not your family, somebody who is going through what you're going through and is just recognize that I'm safe with this person. I have people in the F&B industry who I will call up and talk about anything and everything that's going on, knowing that it's a confidential conversation. And I think that one is what I've learned in the pandemic, in fact, to find a few people who you can talk to. So more than network, it's just about feeling safe. Yeah, having a group of people to go to and turn to. But I think one of the things that you've raised is a huge challenge that we still expect entrepreneurs not to have any difficulties or failures, right? And I think that mindset needs to go or change. And I don't know whether this is the same across the world or it is a cultural thing that they come to India and then they start thinking they don't want to actually hear about the difficulties. They just want to hear about, you know, the good bits of the news. Anyway, so let's move on. What would be your biggest learning from running this business? And if you could go back and start over, would you do things differently? Definitely. (laughs) Really? So outside of obviously business decisions, there are obviously some business decisions I would have done differently with the benefit of hindsight. But on a larger scale, the one thing I would have done is maybe I would have dreamt bigger to start with. Or I would have maybe had the audacity to talk about my five-year, ten-year dream right at the start. I think the ability to talk with absolute confidence when you have nothing on the table 
is actually an ability that's very, very valuable, right? Because it could be a customer meeting or it could be a vendor meeting or it could be an investor meeting. When you're literally starting, right? You don't have anything. The only thing that is going to convince them to, let's say, work with you is confidence. This person knows that they'll get there eventually. They're not there right now. They'll get there eventually. And I didn't have that when I first started. Like I was very busy talking about what I'm going to do in the next six months and what I'm going to do in the next 12 months. And I was stuck in that plan. It's two things, right? One, it undermines, I think, people's confidence in where you will end up at. And that also then stops them from helping you maybe to the greatest extent that they could have. But the other thing is it actually stops you from making decisions that would allow you to achieve your longer term goal. It's like one of my investors, he said to me once, he said, you know, you're not asking for enough capital. And I said, but nobody's going to give it. And he said, if you don't ask, you're never going to get it. And the other one, which is very interesting, and he writes books, so he always comes up with these nice analogies. But he said, if you don't build the runway first, how are you ever going to land the 747? Wow. Yeah. And this was very specifically in context of, you know, build capacity for massive success. And I think I have listened to that advice since, but I think the day he said it, I didn't fully understand it then. Even then I was mired in the thought process of, but I have so many problems to solve today that I don't know how to solve the problems that I'm going to have five years down the line. So I think confidence is like highly valued in entrepreneurship and it keeps everybody aligned, right? From your investors to your team and it keeps your own morale up as well. You know, I would say this is a lot to do with women entrepreneurs that they are not able to, you know, like you said, you were restrained in your ambition. You know that you have a great business idea, but you don't want to overcommit on something. You're worrying about what you're stating. Unless you're 100% sure, you're not going to say it. And that, I think, is something that I think men have it more easily and they are able to speak up, you know, be bombastic about their ambitions without worrying or without overthinking it. We tend to overthink it. So hopefully you're going to use that learning and not just keep it as one of the eight thoughts, right? So who are the people who inspire you, Anusha? So I tend not to take inspiration from like celebrities or kind of very public figures. One of the reasons for that is the fact that I genuinely believe that Anything that you read in the public domain about somebody is maybe 20% of their story. So, you know, when you read about somebody who has achieved the stars and you know, reached the stars, you don't know what their trade-offs were. And you don't know their context, right? You only know the success. And I think it's a very dangerous place to be to actually look up to somebody without understanding what they went through to get there. And to some extent, I think like when I jumped into entrepreneurship, I did jump in with my eyes wide open. But there's still things that I've gone through over the last few years that if you had told me the day I was quitting my job, I would have been like, nay, nay, you know, it just won't happen to me. And it did. So usually when I take inspiration from people, it's people who I know, people who I know well, and people who are just getting right certain aspects of their life. So like it could be as simple as a friend who has her priorities sorted, right? She says, I love my work and I'm going to work hard. Outside of work, I'm going to do one hobby and take care of my kid. But she's tremendously satisfied with work and with personal life. And I look at that and I say, okay, that kind of clarity is something that I would love to have. Similarly, like of course, in the professional domain, there are founders today who I look up to because I just think they've been able to drive scale so fast. But again, these are people who I know who I can pick up the phone and I can talk to. 
So it's very like context dependent, right? So my husband is a source of inspiration and he's going to be very happy that I say this because, <laughs> because he wanted me to say this. And I said, no, I'm not going to say I'm inspired by my husband. But no, for example, he's an entrepreneur as well. And the kind of dedication that he shows to the concept of entrepreneurship, right? He's a second time entrepreneur now. Right from when I've met him, the goal of building like a zero to a hundred business is something that he's never let go of. Like no matter how hard it is, he's always looking at the hundred and saying, I want to work towards that. And I think that's tremendously inspiring. So yeah, I think different people for different things. Yeah, I agree. We are the last question now. What would your advice be to aspiring female entrepreneurs? I'd say do it, but do it with your eyes wide open. <laughs> um, talk to a lot of people before you do it and make sure to find your supporters like very early on in your journey. Entrepreneurship can be a very lonely journey. What you go through in your business, nobody will understand. And I think it makes sense to have people very early on at least know your context. I mean, it's a very tactical thing, but you need to be able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody about anything that's bothering you. And that doesn't come easy if they don't know your context. So f- for me, I have my husband who's again, he and I set up our businesses side by side. So in a way, it's been very nice to have somebody who literally sits at the desk next to me, at least in the pandemic, who knows every little thing that is happening in our business. And it's very helpful because when you have a problem you want to talk about, you know that there is somebody right there who can talk to you about it. So in a way, you need to be able to cut out the loneliness. And that has to come from somebody, could be somebody within the business. Like I also have a great co-founder. We have a very good rapper. And so I think my advice is it's not just for female entrepreneurs, it's for everybody, but it does help to have a partner in the business as well. It's just very, again, it's very helpful to have another person fretting about the same things that you're fretting about. You know, misery loves company, but also (laughs) it drives thinking when you can bounce ideas off somebody. Beyond that, I think specifically for female entrepreneurs, I think it's about just knowing that it's going to be a little bit harder than it is for your male counterparts. But a lot of it is in your head. so. If you can get out of like, whether it's imposter syndrome or lack of confidence or even just letting go of irritation, right? Saying people don't see me enough. If you let go of it in your head, then 80% of the problem is gone. The rest of it is managed, right? It's something to figure out. So yeah, I think that would be my two cents. I think a lot of wonderful advice there. So thank you very much, Anusha, for this wonderful conversation. I'm really looking forward to hearing back the podcast and I'm sure there'll be lots of comments and feedback that we get from all this wonderful experience that you've shared with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun and I look forward to it releasing. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.